from PolarTech, the science of fabric. Creator of textile technologies and design solutions for any need and any reason, welcome to Layers, a deep dive into the untold or little-known stories the outdoor industry is built upon. This is season one, the rise of dressing down. I'm Colin True. Like a lot of people, my entry into the outdoors was hiking, specifically ticking off the 4,000-foot summits in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. One time on a hike in the late 90s, I was hanging around a shuttered greenleaf hut just below the summit of Mount Lafayette, and I saw a person come up on the trail with a tiny pack, wearing tights and athletic-looking shoes. Now, it was late fall, there was snow on the ground, and despite the sun, it was pretty cold out. And this person was dressed in lightweight running clothes, not big, chunky outdoor clothes. At the time, this swift-moving minimalist felt like an affront to my small group who had paused to fire up a backpacking stove for some hot coffee before heading down after a late-day summit. Looking back, this guy was ahead of his time. Back then, we were still labeling ourselves as outdoor. I wanted people to know that I was a nature-seeking, granola-eating outdoors guy. The person we saw that day? Well, they represented what was coming and where we've gotten to today. The rise of dressing down has paid forward in a lot of different ways. For those of us born before the 1990s, when we were kids, our options for clothing and cold weather meant that you could only stay outside for as long as you could last outside. My brother, the same one who wanted an Ocean Pacific t-shirt in the early 80s, used to take tube socks, cut five holes in them, and put them on his hands under his gloves. This was to protect his wrists from the sloppy wet snow we would get every so often in southeastern Pennsylvania. These days, every long sleeve activewear piece you find at Target has thumb holes. We've gone from how long you can last to you can last as long as you want. Once again, our historian, Dr. Rachel Gross. I think what's important to note about how the changes in technology, where the innovation comes from, often it's a response to booming interest in outdoor sports, not the other way around. So for instance, a lot of popular narratives that I see now circulating about the history of the outdoor industry is that in the 1970s, lightweight equipment led more women to participate in outdoor sports. And I think that's totally backwards. In fact, women had been interested in outdoor activities all along. They had been participating And in the 1970s, outdoor companies thought, gosh, maybe we should respond to this existing and growing market. And so the innovations are crucial, right? Backpacks really do get lighter. They really are more comfortable once you add padded hip belts. So these innovations do change the material experience of what it means to be on the trail. But the social change comes first, right? This growing interest in popular environmentalism around the 1970s, Earth Day itself, alerts people to the possibility that there is not just respite and renewal out in nature, but this popular thing that all of your neighbors are also doing, right? This has all been enabled by the versatility with which we can now dress. Functional fabrics and the acceptance of casual apparel as our day-to-day kit means we're all wearing clothing that can go from the couch to the trail without stopping to change clothes. Seriously, Clark Kent takes longer in the phone booth than we do to get ready for a quick workout. At risk of sounding like a walking hang tag, let's just call it like it is. These changes have made everything easier. It's easier to go outside. Clothing is easier to care for. It's easier to dress for any occasion. And it's all just straight up more comfortable. No technology develops a 
that develops alone in a laboratory because if people have to think of it and there has to be a reason to work on it. And, and I think um, though some of the stories of the textiles so common in my closet today are partly the story of serendipity, right? The surprise application of what a material from one activity to another, the surprise that happened in the laboratory that you weren't expecting. Ultimately, though, what we're looking at is a booming interest that Americans have in participating in outdoor sports. And that could range from anything from a walk in the park to climbing up a mountain, but it's to the tune of tens of millions of people by the middle of the 1970s. And that huge market is really deeply tied to the growth in high-tech synthetics around the same time. The outdoor and active space has thrived in so many ways over the past two decades with participation numbers rising in both traditional outdoor activities like hiking and backpacking and in newly established activities like CrossFit or stand-up paddleboarding. Aided by new media technologies and a growing wellness movement, things have changed. No longer portrayed as extreme or for thrill-seeking people with a death wish, obstacles have fallen. These activities have become much more accessible. And it cannot be stressed enough the impact that the development of groundbreaking fabrics like Gore-Tex, Thinsulate, and Polar Fleece have had. The application of these inventions blended categories like snow, hiking, and lifestyle and helped to create an entirely new feature, versatility, which has fueled the prosperity that has come since. This aggregation led to an even broader change. The term outdoor, which at one time was used to broadly describe the type of person who sought out hardcore backcountry pursuits, has evolved to simply outside. Anything that isn't inside is outdoor. But like everything else in life, change is a constant. And there's still a lot that is changing when it comes to our outside community. Allow me to introduce a guest we're going to hear from later on in this episode. Well, my name is Earl B. Hunter Jr. I'm the founder and president of Black Folks Camp 2. Uh, our job is to remove fear, add knowledge, and invite more Black folks to camp and enjoy the outdoor lifestyle with any and everyone. And if you're wondering who any and everyone is, just pick up a mirror and look at it. That's who we're talking to you. Barriers previously created by things like weather or a lack of expertise have been lowered, and the non-expert is just as authentic as those who defined themselves the same way I did back in the 90s. It's still a scary first step to discover the outside world, just not as scary as it used to be. But that barrier to entry continues to be higher for some. Even though I didn't grow up in a family of backpackers or skiers, I was still in the Boy Scouts. I played in the woods behind my house. I had some level of understanding that people went into nature for fun. There are still big segments of our population who have grown up with experiences that don't reinforce going outside. Those whose familial or cultural experience portrayed the outdoors as a negative place. People whose parents didn't drag them to a campground or even on a road trip to see the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota for their summer vacation. And that's what organizations like Black Folks Camp 2 have set out to accomplish with folks like Earl leading the charge. I was the uh, master of ceremony at an event called the Outdoor Economy Conference. Okay. And I got on stage. I introduced Black Folks Camp 2. And I uh, shared with folks that I'm here to change or help enhance the industry. And it was done exactly like I'm about to show you. I was born by the river in a little tent. Oh, just like the river I've been running, yeah, ever since. 
Today, as we conclude our first season, we are going to peel back the layers on some of these changes. Specifically, how these changes are leading more people to find their way outside, and how some individuals are helping them to get there. We'll also take a look at the unspoken secret of how we can all benefit from a little sun on our face and wind in our hair, now that we can safely customize our own outside experiences. All of this thanks to the rise of dressing down. It's been a long, long, long time coming. Welcome to our season finale. This is Layers, presented by Polartech, Season 1, Episode 3. But I know and I know change gonna come, yeah, yeah, yeah. The outdoors are for everyone. Yeah. Did you sing on every podcast today or was it just mine? Hey, man, <laughs> it was just yours today. The casualization of how we dress has changed a lot of things. Sure, we can now pair checkered vans with stretch joggers and somehow make that work as a prom night tuxedo, but it's the idea that comfort and safety go hand in hand that has allowed barriers to participation to drop even further. As we've gained new knowledge and the understanding there is a right way to do something, we've also gained better access to equipment that has allowed us to enjoy more of what were previously considered dangerous activities. Here's Peter Whitaker. It's also changed a lot, too. I mean, when I was in my 20s and my 30s, I mean, I was doing stuff that I shouldn't have survived, for sure. And if I look back at some of my friends that are no longer here, and in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, I lost a lot of good friends because we didn't know. We were learning. uh, We were making mistakes and sometimes not surviving them and learning about how to survive in the high mountains. And it's crazy now when I look back and think about so many times that I came close to uh, checking out and for some reason didn't. And we are so much safer today. I mean, Rainier Mountaineering today, it's crazy how much we've learned and, and what a better job we do at managing the risk up high. Around the time Peter started guiding, companies started getting more responsible in how they were bringing products to market and using people like Peter and guide services like RMI to help them. One of the major shifts we see around the 1970s is the expansion of field testing programs for both chemical corporations and outdoor manufacturers. So it's not that jackets and sleeping bags hadn't been tested on the peaks of tall mountains beforehand, but there was no systematic way that a company like Eddie Bauer pursued elite athletes to get them to try out those products and then in turn to be able to use the images that they produce as a part of their catalogs and marketing. By the 1970s, however, the relationship between athletes, think climbers or mountaineers, and outdoor companies was getting professionalized. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Colin True. You might remember me from such podcasts as 20 Minutes of Truth, Smell You Later, The Teenage Years, and this one. Today's episode is brought to you by Polartech Fresh Face, the all-natural, metal-free, peppermint-based anti-odor treatment which will resist odors no matter your glandular condition. Mmm, smells like adventure. While that may be a mouthful, it's not a noseful. Ask for it by name. Polartech Fresh Face. And now, back to our show. In 2006, I was an RMI client on a climb up Mount Rainier. 
For me, this was the culmination of an early part of my outdoor pursuits. All of those New Hampshire hikes leading to an attempt on a classic glaciated peak. Peter was one of my guides on this trip, as was an aspiring guide who would go on to be one of the most influential alpinists of the 21st century. I'm Melissa Arnott-Reed, and I am a professional mountain guide by trade, but what that means really for me is that I just professionally walk uphill slowly with other people in beautiful places. Raised by her parents in Colorado and Montana to hopefully appreciate the lifestyle of mountain living, the last thing Melissa's teenage self wanted to do was spend time outside. It wasn't until she returned from college in Iowa that she was able to appreciate what the mountains could offer. Fast forward to today, not only has Melissa been up Rainier over 100 times, she has stood atop Mount Everest six times, once without supplemental oxygen the first American woman to accomplish either of those feats. So for me, climbing is so attractive because it's athletic, but not competitive. And it sort of distills down the chaos of my everyday life and my thoughts being everywhere. And I'm, I'm sort of just in one place working with nature. And it's a dynamic place too. It's not predictable. I have to make decisions as I'm there, but it's completely present. And that really deeply appeals to me. Melissa's rapid ascent as a climber and guide led her to working with Eddie Bauer when they launched their first ascent line in 2009, continuing the tradition they started in the 70s of improving safety in wild places through smarter gear and apparel that Dr. Gross spoke of. It is amazing. I will say getting the honor of being able to have input in building technical outerwear has spoiled me so much that periodically I get exposed to other gear that is just on the market. There's no faster way to find out how dysfunctional a two-way zipper on a down garment is than having a bunch of clients at 13,000 feet at four in the morning in sub-zero temperatures and a high wind trying to zip up their jackets. And I'm like, I don't care if it's nice and convenient to be able to like open your jacket from the bottom. Taking five minutes to zip up your jacket is you know, life-threatening, potentially. The improvements of gear and apparel leading to a safer outdoor experience is a big barrier being removed for those thinking about heading out of doors. The risk of something seeming too high or a perceived lack of ability just makes it easier for people to stay on the couch in their branded stretch hoodie. But once you get the gumption to cross that Rubicon, you've entered into a whole new world. Enjoying the outdoors, it can feel like a secret. Sunrises, sunsets, mountain summits, quiet mornings by the lakeshore are all there for everyone to enjoy. But until you take that first step to see any of it, the power of it remains closed off to you. Once you do, though, you've become part of a pretty special community. Knowing the quiet of an empty mountaintop or the sound the wind makes through a hillside of wildflowers makes you feel like your status as a muggle has flipped and you're able to head to platform nine and three quarters. You can see things that others can't. And it's there for everyone. All you have to do is take that first step. Here is Adventure Journal's Steve Casimiro. I do think that there is something special about experiencing the outdoors because we are ultimately animals who not so long ago lived outdoors all the time. And, and there is an element of coming home and science is starting to catch up with what we know intuitively, whether it's the forest bathing, you know, coming out of Japan or like Scotland, where the doctors are starting to prescribe mountain biking. 
or hiking for anxiety right. and other things. So I, I think that the science is catching up to, to, to what we really know, which is that we are happier and more healthy when we are outdoors. Now, while the secret is there for all of us, we're really making all of this sound easy. That every person can just throw open their front door and be whisked away to a life of leisure and recreation where animated birds talk to you while you discover the true meaning of life on a sun-drenched mountaintop, all while you're wearing your super cool outdoorsy-looking clothes with fabrics that have somehow solved the issue of world peace. Yeah, that's not the case. First of all, there is this issue of safety. I mean, let's face it. There's a reason climbing mountains or riding waves is aspirational. Most people see it, have a brief moment of, wow, I wish I could do that, but ultimately don't think they can because their following thought is, there is no way I can do that because it will probably kill me. So the steps that have led to a safer outdoors experience is definitely the foundation for everything that comes afterwards. But if we're going to get everyone to believe that the outdoors are truly for everyone, there are some other obstacles to overcome because our industry and our community is not immune from the issues we encounter in our society at large. The constant reaction that I met with on the airplane when somebody strikes a conversation, oh, what do you do for work? I'm a mountain guide. Always is a look of just complete like, you are? What, like you do like tours around? And I'm like, no, I, I climb high altitude peaks like Everest. Oh, have you climbed Everest? Yes, I've climbed Everest six times. To the top? I mean, that is always the conversation verbatim. And it's super fascinating to me. And I've asked some of my male peers, like, do you have the same conversation? And they're like, uh, no, not really. <laughs> um, it's more like, oh, wow, Everest, tell me all about that. That's your questions rather than like trudging through disbelief. The outdoors is for everyone, but there are those who continue to be marginalized. You know, that, that sort of old idea, you know, the old grumpy dude of like, you know, I, I earned my bones the hard way, you know, before there were e-bikes or whatever, you know, like I had, mm -hmm. I rode a fixie up the hill, you know, whatever. I mean, I think that, you know, that's part of human nature, but I think that the sooner that dies, probably the better for everybody. And because it's, it's okay to celebrate the skinny white dude on the top of the mountain, but not to the, where other people feel excluded. And I think that's right. what's changing now. Yeah. And the outdoor culture is still overwhelmingly white. <laughs> and it still is unwelcoming to a lot of people of color for a whole bunch of really complicated reasons, but it's starting to change. Despite the far reaches of our outside community, there is definitely an established archetype of what an outdoorsy person looks like, accompanied by a history of clickiness. That hipster vibe of, we were doing this before it was cool, so we're rejecting your application to surf here or ride here or climb here. There is this unfortunate human trait that we're sort of hardwired to factionalize, then tribalize, and ultimately ostracize. Part of this hubris is rooted in the mindset that I was participating in back in the 90s, this old guy on the couch ideology that the way we've always done it must be the best way. But Steve is right that things are beginning to change. My name is Manny Rodriguez, everybody calls me Bodega. Manny Rodriguez, AKA Bodega, is one of the Ponza boys a group of New York City-based friends, mostly Hispanic, who share a similar body type, big, and are breaking down stereotypes because each of them do something they've been told repeatedly they should not do as heavy people of color, run. So panza boys, right? Panza in Spanish is like an endearing term for, for, for stomach, for belly, for tummy. So it's like saying, oh, tummy boys, instead of saying like belly boys, you get what I'm saying? The panza boys started as a joke and a hashtag. 
When posting to social media platforms, the boys would bring attention to the fact that they didn't look like what most people picture as a runner. But their audience grew, and they started to inspire others who'd been told that they couldn't run. In 2021, during the height of the pandemic, the Ponza Boys were featured in a short film produced by Ragnar Relay and filmmaker Ben Clark. And the legend of the boys with their guts out grew. You know, so Ponza Boys, the boys with their guts out. Big people and people of color especially can run and will run. Being a Ponza Boy is cool, man. Like, you know, just go out there, have fun, and, and run a couple of miles with them without a shirt on. Being a Ponza Boy means being unapologetic, being empowered, not allowing your body type to define you as a runner. New York City is one of the best examples of how outdoor has become outside. Being bound to an island and completely immersed in an urban environment has led folks seeking the outdoors to get creative. Sure, Central Park has trails, but other than that, if you want to see dirt, you need to leave the city. But there are hiking clubs and climbing clubs, climbing gyms and ski outings. Cyclists are a constant part of life in New York City. And the running scene is strong, with the New York City Marathon being one of the preeminent running events in the world. Manny's dad was a runner, and seeing his pop go outside to tick off miles imprinted on him at an early age. Manny's gateway to going outside was cycling and working as a bike messenger in Manhattan. But eventually, he decided to give running a shot after taking a job at his local Nike town. And just like with his old man, it stuck. I started commuting on a bicycle and then working at Nike, it being driven by sport and people like all the people around me running, it was like intriguing. Like, all right, let me see what this is about. Then I saw people that looked like me you know, heavier set people. And I was like, yeah, if they can do this, I can do this. And I kind of got into it and I got the bug. If there's a sport in America that suffers from an image problem, it's running. Nothing says skinny white male or female quite like distance running does. For Manny, not fitting the stereotype has been something he has had to deal with in multiple settings, including his own place of work. I'm, I'm selling a shoe to, to this lady and she's like, yeah, because I'm training for New York City. It's my first marathon. And I said, oh, that's cool. I'm training for a marathon, too. And she instantly stared at my stomach. Like, her eyes just dropped and looked at my stomach. But Manny knows the secret. He knows what being outside does for him and how it allows him to view the world and his own community. I honestly, like, I really can't explain it. It's just, it's like a way of life. Like, you're either going to do something and be active or your life is in the past right in front of you. And you're going to be in this city that you never even take advantage of exploring the whole city, you know? And, like, what's the best way to explore it? On feet or by bike? I think, you know, you can drive everywhere, but it's not the same. Like, for example, where I live right now, I live in South Richmond Hill, Queens. And this is a very heavy Indian-Guyanese community. And if you drive through here, you might see, like, Indian-Guyanese people. But if you're on your bike or if, or if you're running, you're going to smell curry. You're going to know where you're at. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, And same thing like if you go to like, if I go to Jackson Heights, I'm going to smell, you know, Hispanic food. I'm going to smell uh, fried pork. I'm going to smell chicharrón. I'm going to smell empanadas. I'm going to smell... Bro, it's kind of like midday out here. I'm, I'm getting a little hungry now. I'm sorry, man. But like, you know... It's- <laughs> While the sport is still overrun by people that look more like me, think mostly scrawny and pasty, it's better today than it was back when Manny's father started running in the 80s. And imagine Manny's life if his father hadn't made that choice to start running. Maybe Manny finds his way to the sport, but that's not guaranteed. And it's obvious the impact being outside has had on him. It's also obvious the impact that people like Manny and his pals, the Ponza Boys, are having on others. 
When things were all extreme in the 90s, it set the tone for how outside stories were meant to be told for the next 20 years. Outdoor brands created narratives and videos focused on the hardcore with a healthy dose of, you could die while doing this. And those videos are still being made today. But there has been a steady increase of stories being told about folks like the Ponza Boys or Myrna Valerio or the Black Men Run Club. Sure, there are still audiences looking for films like Maru, but combing through YouTube allows posers of all backgrounds to find inspiration instead of just the seemingly unattainable combined with a lot of agony and carnage. It's clear that things are trending in a positive direction, that easier access to healthy options leads to a more interesting base of enthusiasts. Choosing to run, bike, hike, paddle, or climb is presented as a wellness choice, and there is a community to support you regardless of how fast or slow you are, or, and most importantly, what you look like. And yeah, it might be their lifestyle, but it's just, there's more than that, you know? Right. I'm, I, if, if I go to run, like with, Bridge runners and LES. I'm not going to go run to bridge runners because I'm going to get five, seven miles in. I'm going to go to bridge runners because I'm going to see my boys and my and my homegirls and I'm going to see my friends. Right. And we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to catch up and we're going to have conversations. But while I'm doing that, instead of sitting down and having a, a double cheeseburger, I'm getting some miles in. And now a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Colin True. You might remember me from such podcasts as. Movies I Missed, Scratch That Niche, and this one. Today's episode is brought to you by PolarTech PowerDry, the definitive base layer made for superior wicking, fast drying, and as breathable as Mr. Seller's iron lung. PolarTech PowerDry. It doesn't just dry, it power dries. And now, back to our show. The Ponza Boys are taking a more grassroots approach to driving change in our new outside world, using the sport they love and engaging with people to create a meaningful, lasting connection that allows people to learn the secret of going outside. Earl Hunter, who we met serenading me earlier, he is spreading the love of the outdoors in a much broader way to address a systemic problem of a group of people who've really been left behind when it comes to playing outside. And he might be the most motivated person you've had the chance to listen to. He is pure positivity and ready to accomplish his mission. And get this, before Earl made it his goal to get more people of color on trails, he too was a poser. You know, I tell folks all the time that, you know, there are a lot of things that I attribute to saving my life, but the outdoors is one of them. I knew nothing about the outdoor industry six, seven years ago. I knew nothing about the lifestyle. I had never been camping a day in my life. I had never thought that camping was something I wanted to do. You know, I was a Gucci, Louis Vuitton wearing, sports car driving, private plane flying executive flying around the world doing deals internationally. And I never thought how amazing the outdoors was. I never thought I could get tranquility. I never thought that I can get uh, a nature bath or take a nature walk or, or walk a mountain or walk 40, 50 miles in, in, on a trail and, and feel power in that and feel power in the, the reasoning why I was doing this, but more so feel power in the fact that there weren't many folks to look like me that were out there. And I really didn't want to harp on the fact that there weren't many folks that looked like me that were out there. I wanted to actually jump on board and find ways to get folks to look like me to enjoy what I've enjoyed. You know, I went through a bout of COVID in uh, early 2021. It almost took my life. And I tell folks this all the time. I went through a very tumultuous time, about 16 days of really just excruciating pain. And I, I can attribute the outdoors and 
backpacking and all those strenuous things that I did in the outdoors to really saving my life because my immune system was better. And not only that, I had the strength to fight on, to push on because of all those mountains that I climbed in the outdoors with that backpack on my back and figuring out how I was going to take shelter in the rain and things of that nature. So all of those things that happened basically contributed to me being able to handle that tough part in my life. And I think, and I know that there are a lot of folks out there who haven't experienced the outdoors, can use the outdoor lifestyle as a way of getting over some of the things they may have going on in their life. When you come to the outdoors on your own as an adult, learning the secret of going outside, of how much more fulfilling your life has become because of your time in the natural world, it becomes a burden because you want everyone else to know what you know. Stop me if you've heard this one, but a vegan CrossFitter walks into a bar. How do I know? Because they told everyone within two minutes. As someone who is the butt of that joke, having done CrossFit and dabbled in a plant-based diet, I get why this is both true and funny. When something has a profound impact on your life, you have a compulsion to share that knowledge, even if you come across as an insufferable know-it-all while you're doing it. But barking at people why they should do what you do doesn't really help anyone. What helps is educating people. The casualization of how we dress has already significantly lowered the bar to reach more people. But giving those still on the couch a little push and getting more people outside, like Earl said of all backgrounds, should be the goal of our community. The more that gets in on our little secret, the healthier we'll all be. Well, the thing about it is, though, I always tell folks this, you know, the reason why I want to, I really want to encourage more black folks to get in the outdoors is so we can actually get in the outdoors with the 95% of the people who are already in the outdoors, which are white folks. Right. And so we can sit around the campfire and start having a conversation. We're going to find out we got more sayings and we have differences, right? I didn't think that I would love hugging a tree. And my first time hugging a tree, I damn near went to sleep. I never fell asleep on it because it was so good. And then I go back and do research. Hugging a tree is so therapeutic, right? These are the things that, you know, our job as a company, what we want to encourage more folks to look like me do. We're not here to twist arms. We're here to twist hearts, my friend. But we know that getting people to do things they're unsure of or uncomfortable with isn't that simple. We have to give them the tools to try. The greatest way that we believe as a company, and myself personally, my personal belief, that we're gonna get more black folks in the outdoors is that we have to educate more black folks about the outdoors. Mm -hmm. If we're educated about how amazing the outdoors is and how amazing that the outdoor community says that they are, and those folks want to invite more folks that look like me in the outdoors to enjoy the outdoors, because guess what? Particularly with public lands, we all pay for 640 million acres of public land, right? Yeah. Yeah. We believe also that, you know, when you have generational fear, when you have lack of knowledge, when you have lack of invitation and welcoming, not only by the lifestyle, but also by the industry, mm -hmm. we have to start at the toenail of the elephant. And again, that's education. And we have to educate not only just black folks about the outdoors, we have to educate the 95% of white folks who are in the outdoors or why black folks haven't been in the outdoors. So then those folks will reach across the aisle and say, hey, I understand why you're not in the outdoors now. My job is to help remove that fear, add you knowledge, and invite you to come and enjoy the outdoors. Enjoy a place that I know best. It's the same thing with the industry. The industry job is to educate blind folks. Their, their, their job should be to remove that fear and to invite us into enjoying the outdoor lifestyle with any and everyone. The rise of dressing down has brought performance to the masses and, unbeknownst to most, enabled them with the ability to get outside. 
Gone are the days when gear and apparel was so specialized it was a chore to even know where to find something that you needed. When I grew up, we had the mall and a few standalone department stores. Outdoor specialty retailers have been around in something resembling their current form since the 1960s. But they were there to serve the initiated, aka the core enthusiast. For those of us looking to learn the secret of going outside, we had to be content with a janky winter coat with a hood that unzipped so it could lay flat on your back. These days, you can walk into a big box retailer and walk out with a modestly priced but competent outdoor kit that will do what you need it to do if you decide to head to the hills. These cheaper products come with their own set of issues, poor environmental manufacturing standards, and potential labor problems to name but two. But because of these products being readily available, it creates more opportunities for people to go outside. Technology and gear and just the refinement and simplicity has enabled us to have an ease of experiencing the outdoors that's for everybody that, you know, was a lot harder. And, and honestly, my father, who is just like the old schoolest, old school person ever, like he still will ski in his jeans. And he's like a very good skier, you know? And it's hilarious to me. And trying to get that man to like adopt soft shell fabrics or like, God forbid, hard shell fabrics. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Like, this is not gonna happen. He's like, I mean, I can't, this is like kettle calling the pot black. He's like, I have other stuff I need to do later today. I can't change my clothes. But I'm like the uh, inverse of that, right? Like I'm <laughs> wearing my outerwear all the time because I'm like, oh, I have other stuff I need to do. This, this is fine. <laughs> Figuring out how to sustainably produce the goods we want to buy and use is something we should be focused on without a doubt. But how the brands who produce all of our fun jackets and backpacks act as stewards of the trail is as important. Back when new fabric platforms were being invented, brands got in the habit of using technical features as the path to selling their wares to consumers. Like Melissa's father showed us, that communication largely falls on deaf ears as this practice has continued to the modern day. For the past two decades, We've known how well things work. We don't worry about how we're going to stay warm on a cold day because we've had a million options at a million price points to make sure that we can. So maybe the way to get the skier out of jeans is to talk about how comfortable they'll be in some sweet multifunctional pants rather than old denim. And that's our old pal the poser coming back into the fold for our season finale. The outdoor poser continues to be the target for those who have yet to learn the outdoor secret but they are also the base of who is buying outdoor gear, even if they're using it for everyday use. Like anytime we got to go on an expedition that was paid for by Uncle Eddie, it was like, you know, we got to sell rain jackets because this is what allows us to go play and do these things and, and hopefully like inspire more people to want to go out to places where rain jackets are needed. The biggest advocates for getting outside are the ones with the most money, the apparel and gear brands. They're already selling their products to these people. They just need to do a better job explaining the how of going outside instead of why their stuff works, because we already know that it does. Their opportunity is for them to help diversify who is buying their goods. We need to share with folks that they don't need to spend a ton of money to be outdoors. I agree. That's number one. Whether you black, white, green, or yellow, you're not going to do 14ers, you're not going to rock climb, you're not going to ski, you're not going to do those things. But to go out and take a, a, a nature walk, Take a walk in the park. Get used to the wind blowing. But for the folks who do want to have those experience, well, the data shows that you need to have equipment to have a, an amazing experience in the backcountry. Data shows that to go RVing or to go to an RV park, if it's an RV park, you probably want to have an RV. 
right? <laughs> so data shows that all these things that you want to do, there are things, there, there are products out there that will enhance your experience. However, I think the greatest enhancer out there is seeing folks together on the trail, having conversation, talking, and how we're going to take care of the outdoors, how we're going to preserve it, how we're going to conserve it, and make it the outdoors better for our children, children, children. And so for me, I'm fortunate enough to be able to buy gear and things of that nature. Some folks aren't, but I say let's focus also on making sure that folks understand that they can be in the outdoors and don't have to have any gear at all. This is how more people learn the secret, that the outdoors are for everyone. This is how more people go outside, and at risk of sounding overly optimistic, it's how the world changes for the better. One step on the trail at a time. According to the definition I just submitted to UrbanDictionary.com, a broathlon is when you and your pal accomplish two or more activities in a single day and then eat tacos, or nachos, or burgers or pizza or whatever. Your calorie deprivation allows you to indulge in any number of wonderful foods. Recently, I was wrapping up a day of surfing, mountain biking, and trail running with my friend Bryce. Now, Bryce and I met on the trail, literally. He was trail running, I was mountain biking, and it's been 11 years of adventures and dumb jokes ever since. Since we hadn't seen each other since before the pandemic began, I asked Bryce to come to Southern California for a quick two-day broathlon. When's the last time you surfed? I think it's either been two years, possibly three years. Three years. Yeah. I'm so excited right now. I'm very excited. On our first evening, as we stood on the summit of a small peak near my house, a blazing sunset going off over the Pacific Ocean, I asked my friend what he takes away from going outside. Um... Yeah, for me, I think being in flow, in, in present moment awareness. And, and then, you know, I mean, the sunset we're looking at is just spectacular. So you also get these incredible gifts when you're, whether you're surfing or running or doing this stuff. There's oftentimes some spectacular moment or series of moments that uh, are a little more exciting than than uh, the everyday ordinary. Yeah, I think I see a lot more embracing of the humility of internal challenge and growth moved away from external showmanship. You know, you were referencing like the 90s and kind of the extreme side of things. It feels like this pendulum swing into this internal and reflective and this like personal pursuit and what can I do? Not like, let me show you what I've done. Feels like that's more, um, we have a social cultural conversation shift that is moving away from the achievement, you know, being the accolade as the sole thing we celebrate and more the experience and more of this like honor of admitting that you're there for the experience. And the thing I think I hear the most that just like makes my heart, <laughs> grow 10 sizes is the same thing I felt when I got to the summit of my very first ever mountain. I realized what was possible for me because I had done this under my own power and that it didn't matter that I didn't have the, you know, climbing costume. It didn't matter that I didn't understand the vernacular. 
It didn't matter that I had never been there before. And I see that so repeatedly now in clients that are different from just a skinny white man, having that same just enlivening of this is what's possible for me. And I am not proving it to myself, but I'm discovering it for myself. And that's really the secret right there. There is no one way to enjoy going outside or look like you enjoy going outside. At this very moment, all are welcome. Think of what we've learned this season, that niche activities and trends can spread to mass adoption, that hundreds of years of slow-moving history can lead to a 50-year sprint that has opened up the door of outdoor Stoke to anyone and everyone. And yet there are those who don't feel included, and we as an industry can do more to open up our world to everyone. But the casualization of how we dress, the blending of everyday wear and activity will continue to open more doors. For those of us who already play outside, if you surf, mountains are waiting for you. Are you a skier? Riding waves is just at the bottom of the hill. Do you simply enjoy wearing the puffy you've had for a few years? Great! But you should maybe wear it when checking out that trail at the park on a cool day. The layers we can peel back are seemingly endless. The rise of dressing down has resulted in more people experiencing the outdoors than ever before. It's a confluence of so many different forces, some related, some unrelated, that have come together to create what we get to revel in daily. A hundred years ago, would Earl be focused on getting more black folks to recreate outside? Would Melissa be able to inspire a new legion of climbers? Would Manny be training for a Ragnar race with the Ponza boys? Pretty hearty no to all of those questions. So much has come together to create this moment culturally, socially, and technologically. And ironically, this building mass appreciation for nature is coming at a time when we need it the most, as climate change and the loss of wild places becomes the challenge of our time. Hmm, the science of sustainability. That might be a great topic for season two. Thanks for going on this journey with us. This has been Lairs, presented by Politech. We'll see you for season two. Take care. This episode was produced at Digital One in Portland, Oregon, written by Colin True and David Karstad, produced by Colin True, directed by David Karstad, engineered by Eric Stolberg, and assisted by Tristan Schmunk. I'm your host, Colin True. Lairs, presented by Politech, is a production of Rock Fight, LLC. Ah!